I'm Kyle Salmon. And I'm Corey Astle. Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast dedicated to examining conservative intellectual history to determine the core values of American conservatism. What does it mean to call yourself a conservative? What did it mean in prior times, and how did we get where we are today? We explore these questions and more by turning to conservative political thinkers from the past and present. Each episode, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. If you want to join the discussion, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at ConsMinds. That's at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 68, we read Cynical Theories by Helen Pluckrose and James Lindsay, published in 2020. Helen Pluckrose, she says, is an exile from the humanities with research interests in late medieval and early modern religious writing by and about women. She is currently editor-in-chief of Aereo, an online magazine that I think is pretty cool, so I recommend it. James Lindsay is an author, mathematician, and political commentator. He's written six books on subjects including religion, philosophy of science, and postmodern theory. He's also a prolific tweeter, and we follow him, and he's got some funny stuff. Hmm. All right, so they say the purpose of this book, Cynical Theories, is a guide to the language and customs and culture of social justice, scholarship, and activism. I know, listeners, if you're like me and Kyle... Like you're interested in what does social justice even mean? Well, yeah. this book's going to tell us. And there's some really interesting stuff, some eyebrow raising stuff. Postmodern ideas have shaped theory. So these are t- two concepts that we're going to learn about postmodernism and also theory. Uh, and theory is chiefly concerned with revealing hidden biases and underexamined ex- assumptions. Cynical Theories, this book explains how theory has developed into the driving force of the culture war of the late 2010s, they say scholarship, activism, everyday life. This is not a book that seeks to undermine liberal feminism, activism against racism, or campaigns for LGBT equality. That bears repeating because these are both liberals, as in Democrats. James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, these are not far-right conservatives. They're not conservatives at all. And this book, to their view, is really a defense of mainstream liberalism (laughs) and uh and they are very much in favor of activism against racism and very much in favor of lgbt equality they say cynical theories is born of our commitment to gender racial and lgbt equality and our concern that the validity and importance of these currently are being alarmingly undermined by social justice approaches so basically they're writing this book because social justice is not liberalism it's really illiberal and to their eyes, and we'll get into some of the details of this, they view, they view this movement of social justice and critical theory, which uh, has, has grown out of uh, postmodern philosophy. These, these are all sort of, they believe, uh, undermine the project of what social justice should be, which is to sort of help these uh, underadvantaged groups. And so they're not here to, it, this is not a polemic at all. In fact, the first part of the book that we'll get into uh, in just a minute is really kind of a, a history lesson, a history philosophy of, you know, postmodernism. And maybe it's not complete. And I'm sure, and I've seen, you know, many folks who are very critical of their, of their little hist- history lesson, but I mean, they're, they're trying to do it in a chapter and a half so that they can get on to some of the details, but they're trying to be serious about this. And so again, this is not a polemic to, to hit up, uh, hit against gay people or, or African-Americans who are worried about racism and that sort of thing. In fact, they, they fully believe in it. 
but they believe that this approach, this social justice, uh, critical theory approach is really antithetical and counterproductive. Yeah. And, and, and in that vein, it's a great, um, you know, more than half the book is explaining the course of postmodernism and what they call applied postmodernism, which is these more recent theories. It's, um, I've, I found it really educational because I, you know, there, there are a lot of these things I've, I've heard here and there. You hear, you hear the phrase critical race theory. Nobody ever really explains what it is. These guys do. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really interesting. So they, they take it back to, um, the birth of postmodernism in the sixties, mostly in France. It was sort of a theory that grew out of disenchantment after the world wars, like Sartre's, uh, existentialism grew out of the first world war here. Here we have people faced with an even greater horror of what went on in Europe in, uh, <clears throat> in those days. And they're sort of, they sort of lost faith in democracy and liberalism itself which leads them to sort of adopt a radical skepticism to the possibility of even obtaining knowledge yeah. of even the idea of universal ideas and, you know, categorization itself. It's, it's sort of a, I mean, it's, it, it's hard to think about because it, to define a system that itself denies truth and universality is almost impossible. It's, so it was more of a sort of a literary critique at first and then expanded to other disciplines. So they lay out um, sort of the four pillars of postmodernism is one, that the identity of a person is a social construct, not governed by tradition. Two, morality is not is not found, but made, which is sort of a profession of relativism between cultures. Three, deconstruction in art and culture, mixing of the high and, and low. And sort of just, uh, which leads into the four, which borders are social constructs and can be ignored. That all sounds kind of blurry and i think it's meant to um it's it's uh because like i said it's a rejection of the idea of a universal truth it's also a rejection of sort of individual truth it's it's uh it's just radical skepticism of the idea of obtaining truth at all and in place of that they they believe that society is formed uh of systems of power which can decide what can be known and how yeah, so we, we've discussed some of these concepts before, actually. I mean, when we've talked about The Closing of the American Mind is a book that we read in the past. Ideas Have Consequences. The, these are a couple of couple of books that kind of tapped into some of this some of this thinking. And postmodernism is kind of more of a, uh, a broader catch-all. And in this book, here's Cynical Theories. They're really kind of tracing uh, a particular type of postmodernism. So they're not, I mean, we've talked about, we've, talked about Nietzsche and a little bit of Heidegger, but these guys are really interested in these French social theorists, Michel Foucault, who I, I believe that we'll read one of his books, hopefully next season, Jacques Derrida and uh, Fr- uh, Jean-Francois Lyotard. These guys were interested in a very specific kind of rejection of modernity, as you, as you just described. It's really a rejection of science. It's a rejection of representative democracy that that uh, we enjoy it's a rejection of of science and critical thinking and logic and reason and really what they're saying is these these are all tools of the oppressor and rather than combat these uh, science on its own terms rather than combat reason and logic on their own terms what they're going to say is they're going to take this radical position where they're just going to reject it all and become incredibly skeptical and say, well, these are all social constructs 
that have been constructed by the oppressor in order to oppress. And science and reason, uh, the, these are just tools that have been created so that the powerful, and in this case, that's uh, heteronormative, cisgender, <laughs> Western men, and we're going to learn some of these terms, <laughs> what they mean. I didn't know what the hell they meant, but <laughs> I, learned, <laughs> I learned it now, so we'll share those with you too. But that's who the oppressor is, and so science and and reason and logic, these are all tools of the oppressor to keep uh, keep the oppressed down. So even starting on that note and many of the, you know, what you've just described, Kyle, is like, you're kind of like, wow, this is, this is interesting and kind of weird. (laughs) I wonder where it's going. It's, it's really far out. And, and (laughs) I think what, what, uh, Pluckrose and Lindsay, what motivates them is this started out as sort of a literature theory and art theory. You know, I mean, talk about, um, authorial intent not mattering that came out of postmodernism. you know like it doesn't matter what the author meant to say it only matters what it says and that the reader's interpretation is just as good as the author's you know, that's a postmodern idea and if you're just talking about literature like okay who cares you know i mean i i can read a, a work of fiction and have my own ideas about what it really means and you can read it and have different ideas and nobody's really harmed by that but as we start to as it starts to escape the academy and especially the liberal arts part of the academy, it starts to get to apply apply the science things where truth actually does matter. Then, then, then we have a problem. You know, I mean, then we're saying, well, who could really establish truth? Like, well, if you're an astronomer, you, you can. I mean, you can say certain things about what the force of gravity is between two bodies. I mean, the sort of things you learn in high school physics are true because we've proved them and tested them. And that's not that's not a social construct. That's not a you know a power structure it's uh it's math but postmodernism has sort of branched out from the humanities and into the sciences as, as they get into in this book and it's uh i i think that's what sort of disturbs the authors here where they might have been willing to put up with it you know in, in literature because it's important but then you know it, this could actually do harm to people in serious professions who are you know forming the science and the, and the math and the, and the things that keep people alive. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so this, just to clarify this, this differs a little bit from, uh, let's say Marxist thought, which is the other sort of main pillar of the, of the left and leftist thinking in that postmodernists, or at least this strain of postmodernism is, is very much focused on language and the way that language constructs our reality. And so they're very focused on deconstructing. That's the word they use, deconstruction, deconstructing language. And to them, they don't necessarily see the system of oppression as the result of a consciously coordinated conspiracy, Pluckrose will say. Instead, they regard it as the inevitable result of self-perpetuating systems that privilege some groups over others. And they believe these, are, these systems are patriarchal, white supremacist, heteronormative, grant unfair access to straight white Western men. So the social system and its inherent dynamic power dynamics are seen as the causes of oppression, not necessarily willful individual agents. So bringing that into English, basically like the Marxists will say that the, the, the oppressed are being, are being oppressed by an identifiable group of oppressors who are in control 
And in this case, it's the capitalists, it's the bourgeoisie, uh, those who are have the money and have the resources, have the means of uh, control the means of production, control the society and the levers in society. Those are the oppressors, and it's a small elite group versus the much larger proletariat or the oppressed group. So that's that's kind of the Marxist framing. This postmodern framing, what we're saying is, well, there there is an oppressive a group that oppresses. That's white men, but but they they don't do it in a. It's not conspiratorial in the sense that white men get together and say we're going to take control and this is how we're going to con- control the masses. Instead, it's more uh, ethereal than that, incohate in that you have the structures of our society, our language, the power relationships are such they're kind of latent and in a and they they exist but they're not controlled they're not puppet strings that are controlled so it's this it's the it's the system it's the construct it's the structure of our society that that serves to oppress and so and and it's much of it is done through language and the way that we speak and the way that we categorize things and we say well being straight is normal or being white is normal and if you're not if you're not straight well then that's abnormal or if you're, you know, if you're not religious, then that's abnormal. And so they, they will say like, it's the language games that creates the, the structures of oppression. So that's different than having a cabal who's at the top, that's sort of the, the bourgeois, bourgeoisie who are the identifiable enemy or whatever. And so instead of attacking the, the bourgeoisie or attacking the, the elite group who's in control, this strain of postmodernism, I mean, the focus is going to be on tearing down the structures tearing down the language, destroying our, our current sense of what's normal and what's not. And, and they, they call that problematizing it, problematizing what it means to be normal or regular and instead make it confusing so that we no longer have an identifiable like what's normal. And, and, by, the, and, and by doing so, they're, they're really attacking, hitting at the language, hitting at the, the superstructures of the society rather than, a, than a, a, an elite group. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's what they're describing here, and it's it's sort of the the, the change from early postmodernism, which just ended in nihilistic despair. Now, postmodernists have a, a goal, you know, to fix the world through postmodernism, which kind of goes beyond anything the original postmodernists ever thought, and it it all comes back to this theory, which they just say theory, which confused me for a long time. Because, you know, like there's a lot of theories, but the capital T theory is a belief that objective knowledge cannot be known. Truth is socially constructed and local to each culture and that knowledge functions to protect the privileged. So what, you know, what they do with that is it branches off into all these different applied versions of postmodernism. We talk about post-colonial theory, queer theory, critical race theory, disability theory, all all the, it goes every different way about, and, and that's when you hear about intersectionality. That is also a development of this this field, the idea that intersectionality is about the intersection of different oppressed identities. So, and that's also the, the the idea of the identity itself is something where the modern thinkers are different than the postmodernists, who they said everything was socially constructed, nothing was real, you know. But then you get to critical race theorists and queer theorists of today who are saying, well, identity is socially constructed, of course, but the the discrimination that comes out of it is actually real and it's true, which kind of makes the identity retroactively true. And so it, it sort of con- contradicts itself. It's, you know, saying that we're going to, you know, reorder society, 
but also that these things that are obsessing us are actually true and you know not not fungible like when the like when that rachel dolezal that white woman out west pretended to be black that made all these people real mad now the original postmodernist would have said well you know race is a social construct so you know maybe she conceives of herself this way whatever you know but as we kind of develop this applied postmodernist theory, these identities became more concrete and things based on them had to be more concrete. So somebody couldn't just hop over to a different identity. But then again, yeah. that also, I mean, there's a, this thing is sort of contradictory and hard to describe on purpose. Like that's, it's so it's hard to even explain. I mean, I read this, I read this book more closely than most of the books we read just because you have to really concentrate on one, on each word. And when they quote some of these theorists, it, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you read it. Some of it just doesn't make sense. It's, <laughs> it's really, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's opaque. I mean, I think it's very much the case that social justice is very clearly was, uh, began as an agenda in search of a rationale. And mm. I think Foucault and Derrida, I, I've, I've read some Derrida. I mean, I, th- I think there's some really interesting stuff in there. I mean, I'm not saying it's all, all good. There's also garbage, but I, I think there's some thought provoking stuff. So it's not all trash. It's just that you have these folks who are very much steeped in the social justice thing and they were looking for, I think it seems pretty clear they're looking for, they have the agenda and they're looking for a rationale and this was just perfectly timed. And in this book, Cynical Theories, they, they, they make the point that a lot of the Marxist stuff had kind of played itself out, that uh, means of production and all that is... And, very similar to the podcast that we had when we discussed Marx and Engels and the Communist Manifesto. It's kind of like not super applicable anymore. Some of that had played mm-hmm. out. And so they were looking, these these scholars who are very much in every one of our colleges, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But they were, look, they were looking for a new framing to basically get at the same stuff, which was fighting against the oppressor <laughs> you know they'd already decided who the oppressor was now we, just, we, now we need like a vehicle so yeah yeah and, and it, it it kind of helps their cause that it hasn't been tried in any society before because you know when a marxist brings up real old school marxist stuff you're like hey how come the soviet union isn't around anymore how come, <laughs> right. how come every place they try this it doesn't work and everybody ends up poor and and destitute you know there's no comeback to that because every time they try it it fails but this has never really been tried. It's too crazy. So, I mean, maybe eventually some country will go full social justice warrior and then we'll have the the new version of the Soviet Union, the first ones to give it a shot. And it won't work because it doesn't make sense. But, you know, we can't say that yet because it hasn't happened. It's it's also similar when people, when you say this to a Marxist, oh, you know, Marxism hasn't worked anywhere. They always say, well, it wasn't real Marxism. okay (laughs) but you could say that with postmodernism because it's impossible to define right right. that's what's so crazy about it yeah yeah. it's purposefully um weird um especially queer theory which is just everything normal they want to tear down because it saying something is normal makes something else abnormal and bad and other and they feel that's the way to liberate anybody who doesn't fit neatly into you know male or female or straight or you know or even gay like they think that that's too confining so the book says together with its goal of subverting or rejecting anything considered normal and innate in favor of the queer this can make queer theory frustratingly difficult to understand since it values incoherence illogic and unintelligibility (laughs) and reading that chapter it it lives up to that (laughs) it does it's very hard to get a 
a handle on what this is. This is. It's. I'm sort of like stumbling over it now, even though we've. I've got a lot of notes here. <laughs> They're just, they they contradict each other, and like when you hear people say that the modern left doesn't even know how many genders there are. I mean, to me, that was always like, well, they're still figuring it out. Eventually, they're going to come to a number eighty-seven or whatever. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> yeah. They're they're not because it's it's they want to destroy the whole idea of category, which makes it impossible to study anything too. You know, and the, and the authors of this book are you know saying that you can't study um, something about you know whether gayness is innate or or not. Well, I mean, you can, but then the queer theory people will say, well, you can't categorize it. This, you know, like they reject the whole idea that you can even categorize these things. And what, what, I mean, what's wild is, I mean, you talk, I, I like, what, I like your idea that this was a, an agenda in search of a theory because all of the advances in gay rights have come through liberal democracy, right, you know, through right. liberalism, people who generally want to be tolerant have come to the idea like, oh well you know if the people are born different from me that's okay i'll you know it's you know live and let live we'll tolerate these differences within our society we're you know we're a diverse culture diverse nation and that has led to a lot of advances that gay people on the left are happy with right but queer theorists say no that's that's not enough because it still regards these identities as stable identities. Like the reason we tolerate these differences is because we think people are born different and that we should not, you know, discriminate against them because of how they're born. That's just sort of a general piece of liberal democracy is that, you know, if you're just like, if you're born a different race from a different person, we don't discriminate. If you're born a different sexuality that, you know, that, that is sort of the analogy. These guys think, no, that's too repressive because it doesn't really tear down the structure all the way. It just invites more people inside. And that's, yeah. it's wild. And these ideas really do have consequences, and even for gay and lesbians, because in queer theory, there is just an extreme opposition to any rigid category. So that includes like gay or lesbian or bisexual. In other words, there can't be gay, right? There's, we, they're, they're trying to eliminate that because they don't want to have straight. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, they oppose the, I, the categories of male and female. I mean, how, how many biological sexes are there? There's two. <laughs> that's pretty well, that's as founded in biology and science. But again, we, we're seeing that these guys reject science. Science is the tool of the oppressor. So we're going to cast that out. And instead, we're going to replace it with the experience of the subject. In other words, like the personal experience of the people who are oppressed. So if you don't, feel that you're either male or female, then your, your answer is not to say I'm this third thing. It's to say male and female don't exist. And that's why I, I don't fit into a category because the categories themselves don't exist. And, and is, I mean, look, I think I I would be the first to, I, I don't have anything. I personally have nothing against someone who is born a male and feels inside that, that, uh, she's a female and, you know, you're 25 years old and you want to, you're old enough to make some decisions on your own, then so be it, you know, but that's not what we're talking about here. Instead, what they're trying to do is blur the lines completely. And this really is kind of the erasure of females. I mean, that's, that's Mm -hmm. what we have with, with this uh, radical queer theory agenda. It's, it's the erasure of, of lesbians you know, it's the erasure of, uh, of gay men 
and of males and, 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 and women in general. And of course, what they hate most is the concept of gender, you know, masculine and fem- feminine. And there you, you can understand a little bit more and say, well, yeah, you know, like not, not all girls like to play with dolls. Not all boys want to play sports, but the fact is most do. yeah you can see how it's not random (laughs) no you can see how it began with a good a good inclination of saying well you know not everyone has to fit exactly into every stereotype of sex and that that is true i mean yeah there are there's always been tomboys and there's always been guys who were not into you know the rough and tumble aspect of masculinity but they were still dudes you know and those tomboys were still girls you know and it was it was just, hey, you know, she has a different way of living life. That's all right. But then they just, they just want to take that all the way to the extreme of saying that, um, like uh, Judith Butler, they uh, was probably the premier queer theorist. They pro- they quote her a few times in this book. Says that gender is wholly socially constructed, not biologically determined at all. And that's wild to me because it's like there's, you know, and that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're completely 100% different from the opposite sex. But, you know, we do have some differences, you know. Men can't have babies. A lot follows from that, you know. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot that goes into life that involves reproduction. And you can't really get away from that just by, you know, saying that gender is something you do, not something you are. Well, it's it's a little bit something you are at the very least, because we we have these parts. We've had something that you have, (laughs) you know, so it's, and that's, I think people, when people hear these uh, activists, they don't realize how weird the stuff behind it is, you know, and how far reaching and destructive of, of all of human society this is. And that, I mean, because that's the other thing, like every society has sex differences. You know, it's not just something we thought up in the, the patriarchal West, you know, yeah. it's everywhere. Every, you know, you, you meet people meet an undiscovered tribe in the Amazon and yeah, men and women do stuff differently. Go figure, you know, it's, it's everywhere because, <laughs> you know, it's, it there, it's almost like the postmodernists are talking a, a different language because if you say that, then, or even if you had some sort of anthropological study that reject that suggested that they would reject it because it relies on the categorization, yeah, and they reject categorization. So reason. it's 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 bizarre in that it, it can't, you know, it began with a, a philosophy of a radical skepticism, but now there are just certain things you can't utter anymore. You know, in there are certain avenues they will not be skeptical of and it you know it's it's really what you get as we as you read this book is that this is all really hardening into a new dogma right it's uh, it's more rigid than anything mainstream liberalism has to offer yeah very very much religious dogma let's let's dive into a few of these terms because i i suspect that some of our reader or listeners didn't know these like i didn't so first of all just to clarify queer refers to anything that falls outside binaries and to a way of challenging the links between sex, gender, and sexuality. So I think that's different. To be queer allows someone to be simultaneously male, female, or neither, to present as masculine, feminine, neuter, or any mixture, and to adopt any sexuality. I mean, there's just a little bit of parody here. All right, so uh, another word, normativity, like heteronormative. Hetero means straight. So normativity, it says... uh, 
uh, some things are common or regular to the human condition, thus more normative from a social perspective than others. So these critical theorists, they just absolutely despise normativity. Anything that's considered normal is pretty much the enemy. So cis, that's C-I-S. We've seen this before. Cisgender. Uh, cis means gender and sex match, meaning like if you have male body parts and you also like girls, then you're a cis. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, it's sort of a bad high school Latin. Uh, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah. Cis is a prefix that means this. Uh, like, oh, okay. like when they, um, when Rome conquered Northern Italy, they called it Cisalpine Gaul because it was a place where Gauls lived, but it was on this side in the Alps. France was Transalpine Gaul. That, you know, other, that ah, side across. Oh, that's enlightening. You know. I didn't know that. So that's yeah, the so, and, so cis is the opposite of trans, we're saying. Yeah, so they take these prefixes and kind of, you gotcha. know, mash them on here. Okay. Queering, that is the verb to queer, is to unmake any sense of the normal, to liberate people from the expectations that norms carry. Okay. Uh, very successful there. Gender, they say, is a set of things people do to present, as you said, you know, Judith Buck Butler. So gen- gender is not not uh, a, a condition. Instead, it's, it, it is behavior, uh, a set of things that people do to present themselves in society, that I, I am this gender or I am that gender. So that's queer theory. They, he, he dives into some others, or they dive into some others. Let's, let's take a look at post-colonial theory. Hmm. Now, to me, post-colonial theory has never really piqued my interest because we're not a colonial power and you know like the colonies in in africa or you know french indochina so so forth and india it's hasn't super interested me in the past so i've kind of haven't really dug into this but for these guys post-colonial theory they say wants to deconstruct the hegemonic west so it has much more it isn't it isn't actually linked to colonies although maybe it originally was the idea that uh that those those countries those peoples that have been colonized need to be decolonized but now we're going to say everything in the world needs to be the language the superstructures of society the hierarchy the normativity all needs to be decolonized and we need to rewrite the history of the west from the perspective of the oppressed they say every subject matter from every discipline for theory, the knowledge that is currently most valued is intrinsically white and Western, and it interprets this as injustice, no matter how reliably that knowledge was produced. So what we need to do is tear that down. We need to tear down all that. And, you know, you're, you're, you read, I read through this and I'm kind of like, there's a point to be made here that, you know, like a lot yeah. of it, but, but like the way to, uh, the, the way to address it is to, I'll read also, you know, like let's also read blank rather than tear down, uh, you know, Western civilization and Western philosophy and the, the great thinkers. Yeah, they mm. were men. All right. Let's read some female thinkers. There weren't there, you know, there weren't as many that got to write stuff down in the past. That's a bummer, but let's read the ones that are now, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just don't get the, I, the, the whole concept of, in order to to resolve these problems, what we need to do is tear down and destroy all the you know all this goods that uh, that that we have as a as a civilization. Yeah, I think a lot of us thinking too hard too. You know, like he quotes Ed Said, who was a post colonial 
post-colonial, post-modernist, talked about how the East was a creation to be other than the West. And because it's other, it's exploitable and conquerable. It's like, I think the simpler explanation is stronger powers conquered weaker powers because Westerners right. conquered each other all the time. You know, yeah, I mean, right. back and forth like, and forth. And Poland back. was yeah. constantly getting conquered. You know, I mean, it happened a lot and it's not because they were Eastern. It was because they, you know, they weren't a strong state. Prussia was, Russia was, Austria was. And they, so they all took a piece anytime they wanted and pretty much conquered the entire country. That's, you know, it's more, I, I think there's simpler answers to this than the idea that, you know, this whole social construct and, you know, but, 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 but then if that's all it was, it's one thing, but, you know, here we are, we've gotten written, most of the colonies are free. Anybody who's still a colony pretty much wants to be one at this point, you know, like, uh, Puerto Rico doesn't want to be independent. They can't decide if they want to be a commonwealth or a state, but they don't, you know, independence polls about five, 10% down there. They're not interested in it. If they were, I think we'd probably let them go because, you know, like we did with the Philippines after the war. Yeah. Because we're not a colonial power and really nobody else is either. Uh, maybe Russia is a little bit because they're you know taking little pieces of their former constituent republics like they did in Ukraine. But no, nope, nobody is really colonizing anymore. So it makes you think, why is this theory still around? And that's because, you know, because it's in academia and it doesn't have to have a reason. It just <laughs> right. it just hangs out. But then it gets into these weird things like standpoint theory. You know, the knowledge comes from lived experience of different identity groups. And I think this identity groups is the most pernicious part of this because it's, you right. know, knowledge is not universal. All right. They reject that. But neither is it individual, which is why if you're a member of a group that they deem oppressed and you have a different idea of how it should be, like if you're a black Republican, well, your, your viewpoint is considered invalid. Because it's not in line with what they think your group's identity ought to be, you know, or with what your group's, you know, reflection on its, you know, the various injustices done to it over the years. And that, I mean, that would be frustrating to me if I were a member of one of those groups. Because one of the great things about liberalism is that anybody can think whatever he wants. And, we, you know, we've talked in previous episodes, like about Patrick Deneen's theories and you know, Carlson's, you know, that we maybe there's too much individualism. Maybe we're too shattered, you know, and not communitarian enough. But for these folks, the, the community, the local idea, the group idea is the only idea, you know, truth itself is founded in the group and you can't change it except if the whole group changes. It. It's again, unclear, but it really gets rid of individual agency while at the same time, destroying universal ideas. It's, very complicated, but yeah. uh, very troubling too, because it it really limits the things a person can can talk about if these are the the rules of the game. Absolutely, and so let's let's take a minute to to talk about maybe the most uh, combustible piece here, which is critical race theory. Critical race theory, they say, holds that race is a social construct that was created to maintain white privilege and white supremacy. The idea of race is used to assert biological explanations of differences that are social and cultural to perpetuate the unjust treatment of racial minorities, especially African-Americans. Uh, and so the, the new fo unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step -step progress, which has been incredibly successful right, in mm -hmm. the history of America. And I, I don't think you could point to another civilization in the history of the world where that kind of progress has even come close to being made. But uh, 
critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. This is what we've talked about. There's no fo- new focus on microaggressions, hate speech, safe spaces. These are all words we've heard don't necessarily have clear definitions of cultural appropriation, implicit association tests, media representation, and whiteness. And here's a few tenets. Racism is ordinary, not aberrational. That's the everyday experience. White supremacy is systemic and benefits white people. Race and races are products of social thought and relations. Racism is present everywhere and always and persistently works against people of color who are aware of this and for the benefit of white people who tend not to be, as is their privilege. Racism is embedded in culture and we cannot escape it. White people are inherently racist. Racism is prejudice plus power, so only white people can be racist. That's the, that's the logic there. We've heard this many mm-hmm. times, like only white people can be racist, which it's, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. But under this definition, which is racism to them is prejudice plus power. So if, you, if you're not in the powerful position, then you can't be racist. Only people of color can talk about racism. White people need to just listen. They don't have racial stamina to engage it. Being colorblind is racist and an attempt to ignore the pervasive racism that dominates society and perpetuates white privilege. There's a lot there. And if you've, uh, if you've come across the New York times, 1619 project, you, you may be familiar with these themes because that, that, and if you haven't come across it, well, <laughs> you're lucky. It's, there's no, it, it's, it's just a, a hornet's nest of sort of anti it. It's anti-American in a way that, left-wing liberals are not you know i mean the civil rights movement was about giving everyone access to america's promise and i think like you said that's something that we've really come such a long way on in a comparatively short time it, it it's truly astounding but to the critical race theorist it's it's all still bad it's all, the nation is all still founded in racism it's still you know everything everything that's going on that's bad is based in racism and that's, you know, why no matter how much good we do, it's never going to be enough. It always needs to be torn down, built up from, I don't, built up into I don't know what. Because that's the problem you get with a lot of this postmodern stuff is that they're great at poking holes in things and criticizing things. I and mean, that's why it's critical race theory, not just race theory. So what do you, but what, what do they want to put in place of it? Because I don't know if, I don't know of any system besides liberal democracy that is that gives as many people equal access to power and wealth and success and prosperity and just basic human rights it's like when we when we are uh, our episode on von mises uh we talked about how liberalism was the first universal philosophy of government everything that came before it was you know aristocratic and the king has these rights the peasant has these much smaller rights maybe liberalism was this revolutionary idea that everybody has equal rights and it has revolutionized the world in freeing oppressed people and what struck me again and again throughout this book is you know you read these different outgrowths of postmodernism and that they're staring in the face of all of this progress which the progressive is supposed to like and it's not enough it's never and not it's not enough not not because it's imperfect but because it is never enough because it is a system that they see as unjust and must be destroyed and that's just it's very frustrating because i feel like we do a lot of good in this country and and other countries too 
anti-racist e- efforts and anti-sexist efforts in the West and, and the East to some extent are, you know, even in our lifetime come a long way. But the, uh, the applied postmodernists just, it, it's, it's like nothing to them. And it, it, I don't know, you scratch your head, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a reason for it, but it's hard, it's hard for me to figure. And I think that's the right point to be made because once again, it's, it's not that there isn't, there, there aren't, aren't takeaways from where America is and nobody claims that America is perfect. And there's certainly, you know, work to be done and, and we see evidence of it. And, 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 you know, over the summer, certainly it's, uh, events have raised the tension of people, I think across the spectrum, Mm -hmm. but this, this ideology, you're just sort of like, it just hits you as, I mean, does everything suck? Is, is, is the whole, is the whole world tear? I mean, is, is there yeah. nothing good at all anywhere? I mean, is it, is it just complete nihilism? And I don't know it. I, I just feel like the, the authors of this book make a really great point when they're saying that, uh, that classical liberalism, like what you just described, the enlightenment project has advanced made such huge advancements and progress uh, along many of these so many of these fronts and that doesn't mean that it's done and that doesn't mean that it's finished and that doesn't mean that it's enough but it does mean that it's it's incremental yes but but it's happening it's working and maybe you know maybe the pace isn't quite fast enough and so forth but but this full frontal attack on our institutions on our the, really the core of our civilization, on on liberal democracy, on representative democracy, and and our 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 history and our our modes of thinking and and trying to work through things and saying that science and and reason is is uh, somehow evil and 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 born of ill intent is just strikes me as so counterproductive and mm. and really a dead end. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think what what Pluckrose and Lindsay, what really bothers them is that it shuts off avenues of debate. Whereas right. you know, scientific inquiry has always been about questioning, and it actually has been about skepticism, which postmodernism started in. But in in liberalism, you can never say we well, can't say that or you can't question that, and that's that upsets a lot of conservatives sometimes because there are things that all of us individually believe shouldn't be questioned. But we also in American conservatism in a and what the Europeans call liberal conservatism, believe that we can't shut anybody up either. You know, I mean, I, I might believe in God, but I can't tell my neighbor that he has to. I can't tell him even to, to shut up about it if he's atheist. That's a free country, you know, and or any other, doesn't even have to be about religion. It could be any other thing, you know, it could be about taxes. It could be about benefits. It could be about anything. We can debate them. And in science, they can, they can investigate different possibilities and it doesn't matter who's doing the investigation because knowledge is real. It's not locally grounded. And I think that really bothers them because they see it as, as just a new form of authoritarianism. And I, and I agree. I mean, I think that I think I see where the authors are coming from. And like you said in the beginning, they, these are not uh, right wingers like us, but we share a common cause here in that we believe that things can be true. Things are knowable. One of the things in Ayn Rand's philosophy is that A is A. That's her starting point. <laughs> and when I read that, the first time I read Atlas Shrugged, back when I was an impressionable 19-year-old, 
I thought, well, of course it is. What else would it be? I mean, that's that's like a dumb thing to even say. It's like when you when you're learning principles in in mathematics, you know, the identity principle: one is one, two is two. Well, of course it is. What else would it be? <laughs> you know, but here we find a philosophy that doesn't believe that, and yeah. it's it's kind of mind bending, and uh, it's hard to see how it could ever produce anything. It can only criticize. That's a good note to end on. We're we're pretty late. I uh, I recommend this book to listeners if if these subjects interest you at all there was so much more in the book i uh, didn't get to so many more definitions and and tracing the history and and we didn't even get into fat studies <laughs> so yeah anyway that is pluck rose and Lindsay. catch us next time